0: Welcome, everyone. Good to see you today. If you're new with us, I'm Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, We're going to continue in worship. Sometimes turn and greed isn't considered worship. It is. That's a worship through fellowship. I love that. Um, And now we're going to do worship through offering. This is just a moment where uh, ushers come forward. Um, This is a moment where Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And and our hearts always want to sort of because of our sin nature move away from God my heart anyway is just constantly sort of drifting away and we have this opportunity um, to to lead our hearts back to God one of the ways we do that is through offering just to remind our souls that our treasure is in Christ um, that he's first in our lives and so Worship God as you give. Don't just give. Worship God as you give, and take that opportunity to do that. Um, as we t- receive the offering this morning, um, I, I, a couple of stories I want to tell you. The first one is just extra and ad hoc because it was just funny, and I can't pass up the chance to share it. We're sitting in worship this morning, and we're singing. You know, um, you know, you're the good, good Father. I love that song, and I've got my little son, my little foster son, on my lap, and I'm saying, we're singing about God, he, how much He loves you. Um, how much we love him, and how much he loves you, and it's just such a great thing, and do you know how much God loves you? And he turns to me and he says, what are we having for lunch? (laughs) So I was like, oh, that's awesome. Okay, thank you, Lord, for reminding me, reminding me, and just bringing me back to reality today. Worship through reality right there. Now, hey, just over uh, three years ago, um, I attended Cedar Mill Bible Church our worship gathering for the very first time. Um, I actually, it was in the first service. I sat right back there on the back row against the wall. And if I can be really honest with you, it was not a great experience. Um, And it wasn't because you guys were bad or because the 9 o'clock service was lame or because Carl's message wasn't amazing. Um, The worship was actually really inspiring. Uh, But the emotion I was feeling the entire time I sat there and experienced the community for the first time. If I could summarize it in one word, I just have to say I felt panicked, absolutely terrified. In fact, I, I began to feel so overwhelmed that I left church early, which doesn't give any of you permission to do this, but I left church early, and I like walked out into the lobby, and made a beeline through the lobby, because it's hard to hide when you're a 6'5", 5 new guy, and so I, I go out onto the patio, and I'm just looking, I didn't know the campus that well, but I'm just searching for any place that I can be alone, and I finally find this like kind of isolated place over in front of the chapel, and I'm standing outside in front of the chapel, and I pull out my cell phone, and I call my wife, and I'm kind of having this little mini panic attack, and she says, How's it going? And I was like, well, I think I'm hyperventilating, if that tells you anything. She had to talk me off the ledge. And um, as we look back, uh, what we both agree is that that was just the beginning of God telling me in that moment, telling us and leading me to say, hey, I'm going to do a new thing with you. I'm going to change the course of your life. And And at that point, I was not planning to make that shift. I did not think that's where things were headed. And it was like, God intervening in this moment. Um, and, And all throughout that time period, from that point forward, as I sought God and said, God, what are you trying to say here? I just remember him saying over and over and over again, if you'll go, I'll do something. It's just like this message over and oh, If you'll go, I'll do something. And at first, God was sort of whispering it to me. And by the end, when I'd ask him again and again and again, what are you saying, Lord? He was tired of me. He was like shouting at me. If you go, I'll do something. And I kept saying, but God, what is the something that you're going to do? That's what I need to know. Because if you read the Bible... Like God calling you somewhere is 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 actually not the best news ever. It can be most of the time when God asks people to go or leave or do or follow in the scriptures, it means they're headed towards challenge and suffering and depression and heartache and like terrible tragedy that he'll eventually turn to good, but it's not a fun road. And so I'm like, but where are you taking me, Lord? Where is this headed? And so I kept asking him, and we all know that is not how God works. Um, He does not always tell us what is ahead. He just says follow just come just trust me um and this month is special for me because uh three this month marks three years that i've had the privilege of serving as the pastor here you don't have to clap for that the nine o'clock service did not clap which means you're now my favorite service no um uh and i and i have to tell you i've been thinking a lot because the three-year anniversary is a big deal um and school starting. I've been thinking a lot about this, and I don't. I don't know that. I think you guys all know this, um, and, and but I don't know that I say it enough. I I love it here. I love you. I love this church. I never. I never thought that I could love a community of people um, that's so rotten and messed up. As much as I love you. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I really do. I really, I want you to know I, that I honestly, with every fiber of my being, consider it to be such an honor and a privilege to serve here as one of your pastors, to serve with the great staff here, and, and to walk alongside you in knowing Jesus. I, I truly believe that you have done more for me in these past three years than I have even begun to do for you. Um, God has met us in this journey. He's met us in this place. He's met us as a part of this community. I do not believe that I am the same person now that I was three years ago. Um, I've been changed and I'm being changed by the grace and love of Jesus in ways that are really fun and hard, (laughs) but fun, mostly fun. and then not just me, you know, one of the things about being a, a pastor is your family kind of gets to come along for the ride. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, we'd go to church, and then my parents would hang out, and they would talk forever. And my brother and I would be there, and we would be pa- pa- or not so patiently waiting, like pulling on my dad's shirt, come on dad, let's go home, I'm starving. And my parents, and we're just begging them to leave, so we could get out the door, and get out. we just didn't want to be there. And it's like the exact opposite for me. I get here at like 5.30 on Sundays, and by the time we hit 12.30, like, I love you, but I'm tired of you, and I am ready to go, and, and my kids, and they just don't want to leave. They love being here, and so we say, come on, kids, you have to leave. No, can't we stay? And my wife will just talk, talk, talk in the lobby um, <laughs> um, in a good way, in a way that I that I'd love to see, um, but I guess I just want to say again, uh, it's, a real, it's a real special thing to raise your children in a community of faith. The place you choose to raise your kids because this community will have impact on how they see God and, w- and their understanding of what it means and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And again, I am so privileged to raise my children to follow Jesus uh, in this community and with you. And I, and I, and I, and I, I can't say enough about uh, what God has already done. He's done so much in just three years. And yet, as I've thought this month and reflected back, I do not think he's finished. I don't think he's finished with me, at least I hope he's not, and and I'm sure that he is not done with us. In fact, I believe God is just getting started. And and so this morning, I want to launch us into a series where we're going to talk about vision. We're going to talk about where we, as a church leadership, believe God is, is taking us now where he's leading us as we walk forward together and i'll tell you right at the top one of the things that's great about talking about mission and vision in the church is that you is that you don't start from scratch we don't just huddle up as staff and elders and leaders and go all right what's our new plan you know no it's always connected to the past it's always connected back all the way to 2,000 years ago and that very first community that gathered in the upper room to follow Jesus, we have the exact same mission that they had. Our mission has not changed, friends. Becoming like Jesus and making Him known. That's the church. That's our mission. That we would be people becoming like Jesus, conforming and conformed to the image of Christ, that we would make Him, Jesus, God's grace through the Son, known in this world, becoming like Jesus and making Him known. Becoming like Jesus and making Him known. That is our call, our mission, that is what we are about as a community, and you're going to hear that over and over and over again for the coming days and weeks and months, and I pray years because that is what we are called to be and what we're called to do. The large sea church has been handed this mission straight from the mouth of Jesus. Become like me and make me known. Just live that way. And friends, we as a church will receive that. We will we will embrace it. We will live into it with everything we have. That's my commitment to you. The large sea church has its calling, has its mission. But then every small sea church Every local congregation, every smaller gathering of Christ-following believers has some decisions to make. We all have to ask ourselves, how do we live out that mission now? What does it look like for us as a community of Jesus followers in our culture and our context to accomplish the mission God has given us to become like Jesus and making and make him known? What does it look like for us today, here in West Portland, to live into and live out our calling as the church. And that's exactly what the church leadership has been, has been wrestling with for some time. And friends, I have to tell you, I, I believe one of the greatest challenges in our day, uh, specifically where we live in, in Portland, is that God longs to give us so much. You see, sometimes in our culture, God is the the preventer. And yet in the scriptures, God is the great giver. He's the great provider. He's the great offerer. He's the one who, who longs to lavish with with so many gifts that we can't even imagine. His heart is actually to pour out blessing on his people, on all of humanity, in fact, even on all of creation. But the problem where we've gotten fuzzy is on the vehicle that God uses to transform us. If we're going to become like Jesus, where we get unclear is how are we going to become like Jesus. There's some unclarity that has crept in and we've forgotten how it is that Jesus longs to be made known in the world. We know that he needs to be made known. But how does he long to be made known? Here, here's a question. I want you to think about it this way. And this is, this is a participation question. Sometimes I'll ask rhetorical questions. This is a participation question. So feel free to... to Think about a good answer and then shout it out. Think about a good answer and then shout it out. Here's the question. What... Is that Greg again? That's two weeks in a row, Greg. Um, Here's the question. What does God long to give us? What does God want to offer you? What does He want you to have? God wants you to have... Okay, peace, love, freedom, eternal life. All good answers. Faith. Love. Joy. Peace. Kindness. All right, okay, okay. All right, that's getting a little out of control. See you turn this group loose, Matt, and they'll just attack you all of a sudden. Like, it's real, it's participation on, heavy. Um... Here's, here's, here's the list I composed of all the things that God longs to give us. And, and many of what you said are on there. And this is not an exhaustive list. I came up with this in, in five minutes, just sort of thinking through the scriptures. We could write pages and pages and pages of what I believe God longs to give us and offer us um, as a heavenly father. But here's what I wrote. God wants us to have Jesus as Lord, Holy Spirit as guide, peace, hope, love, joy, freedom, adoption, salvation, redemption, satisfaction, assurance, obedience, mission, purpose, power, patience, kindness, humility, contentment. All of that and more, God wants to give you. You know that? He wants to load your life. He doesn't want to, like, It's not a scarcity moment. He's not just rationing out little bits. He wants to load your life with these things and more. All of that, by the way, is sort of crammed into this, this declaration that Jesus makes. And if you've ever been up to the church offices up here, when you first walk in the church offices, this is the statement that we have like hanging right on the wall. Every day I see it when I first walk into work. And this is what Jesus says. This is from John 10.10. 10. He says, I have come that they, that's the world, that's us, that's you and me, that they may have life and have it to the full. Some translations say, and have it abundantly. You want to know what the full, what Jesus means by the full, abundant life? He means all that. But But here's the question. How does God offer it? How does he give it to you and me? How does God give us all of these things that he wants us to have? How do we receive it? By grace. He offers all that he offers by grace. You see, the only way to receive all that God longs to give you is by grace. Someone in the first service said, by obedience. And I said, no, actually, no. You can never earn what God wants to give you. You can never try hard enough to attain all that wants to give you. God actually, by grace, will allow you to be obedient, that you can experience some things, but it all starts and ends with the grace of the living God. If you were a part of the Journey Launch training uh, this summer, you heard Mary Colossi say this, and it was so good that I'm going to repeat it, but but hear it because it is is 100% true. She said, Grace is God's delivery system for all that He longs to offer us. It's the vehicle. So earlier someone was saying, God wants us to have grace. Yeah, He does. He wants us to have grace, but He actually, grace is the vehicle by which he, he longs to give us all that He wants to give us. It's how it happens. You see, too often in our world, friends, people have been offered Jesus, but it's, it's a pseudo form of, of Jesus. They've been actually offered religion, They've been offered rules. They've been offered a system of moralistic behavior or or right ways to think or doctrinal belief. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But unless they are offered in grace, they do not truly represent God or Christ or the gospel. And so as we think together about the mission God has given us, as we, as we focus in on becoming like Jesus and making Him known, our vision for how that can and must happen, we've tried to capture in this statement that we want to, to challenge and ask and beg and implore and plead with you to let settle into your mind and heart over these next few weeks. This is like a statement that we want to define the culture of our church. This is a statement that we want to to define how it is we will choose to posture ourselves as those who are becoming like Jesus and making Him known. This is a statement that we believe captures God's heart, not just for the church, but for our church today in 2016 West Portland. Here it is. Grace-fueled lives for a grace-filled world. Grace-fueled lives for a grace-filled world. That we would be People whose lives are fueled by grace that we could go out into this world and offer the free grace of Jesus Christ to a world that I believe is dying to know the love and peace and hope and joy and acceptance and adoption and salvation that God offers for free with no strings attached. Grace-fueled lives for a grace-filled world. And let me just talk for a minute about what it means to be grace-fueled. We could talk for, for weeks about this, but I'm going to touch on it for a minute. You see, sometimes we think of grace as this thing that happened. We got grace in the past. We received it for salvation. That's what grace is good for. I wasn't saved, and then by God's grace, now I am saved. I wasn't in with God, and now I am in with God. Is that true? Yes, but there's so much more to grace than that. Sometimes we think of grace as this thing we need when we blow it. I messed up, I sinned, now I need grace. But friends, hear this. You were intended to live by grace from the first moment to the last. Dallas Willard says, and this by the way, if you chew on this for a while, this will change your walk with God. Saints burn more grace than sinners ever could. Saints burn more grace than sinners ever could. Not because they sin more, but because grace is the thing that actually fuels their lives. It fuels every single thing they do. You see, to become like Jesus, you have to put grace in the fuel tank of your life. Grace has to be the thing that energizes you, motivates you, propels your life forward. Listen to how the Apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 3. He's writing to the early church about just these sorts of things. Here's what he says. He starts kind of like talking about himself, and he says, If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, in themselves, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Paul's like throwing down here. This is like his his first century life resume extraordinaire. And he says, you think you're better than me? You don't got a chance. When it comes to the flesh, when it comes to the, the things of this world, I can take every single one of you every day and twice on Sundays. But then he continues, after kind of reading off his his very robust life resume, he says this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What Paul is saying here is, I used to be fueled by the things of this world my life used to run on a whole lot of other stuff stuff like accomplishment and success and reputation and vocational recognition I used to fuel my life with being a part of the right right group through popularity being smart and having an esteemed education that used to to fuel my world, the adoration and respect of others that used to really motivate me, self-righteous, spirituality, that used to fuel me, that used to be the thing that was in the gas tank of my life. All of those things, Paul says, they all used to fuel my life, but they didn't work. They didn't work. They never produced the abundant, full life I longed for. There were too many negative emissions And so what Paul says is this, I refuse, I will not, I do not want to run my life on this counterfeit fuel any longer. Now, from this point forward, the only thing I want driving me is the grace of God found in Jesus. That's the fuel I'll burn my life on from this point on. Friends, what are you using to fuel your life? What motivates you, drives you, affects your attitudes, determines your decisions, dictates your actions. Let me give you just a couple of examples, some alternative fuels, if you will, some things that people in our world often use to to fuel their lives. Maybe you'll recognize yourself in this. I, I do. I do for me. For a lot of Americans, success is the thing that motivates them. You want to succeed at school, at work, at home. So how does that play out? How does it work when you fuel your life with success, when you're, you're running, when you're burning the fuel of success? Well, first of all, if you're success-fueled, you're going to be tempted to work really hard. Not a bad thing. But you might stress yourself out, you might neglect important relationships, you might even be tempted to cheat or cut corners to get ahead because success is what ultimately matters. Friends, if success is what fuels you, what happens to your self-esteem when you fail? If success is ultimate, if success is the thing you're after, when you fail, where, what happens then? You see, success as a fuel source for the human life, it can propel you a long way. You can get a long way down the tracks running on success. People in this world are very successful running on success. You might know some. But the problem is there are a lot of negative emissions, a lot of side effects that are not the fruit of the Spirit. Or or what about another fuel source that people tend to, to choose to try to drive their lives? Acceptance recognition, popularity, the fuel of I want people to like me. Anyone relate to that fuel? This is another common one in our world. Now is it bad, by the way, to want people to like you? is it? Is it? It's not bad to want people to like you. That's okay. You were wired up to live in community by God, and so appreciating that is a good thing. But when it becomes the fuel of your life, there are going to be some not-so-good emissions that come out of it. Things like you can't make hard decisions. You can't stand up for yourself. It's hard for you to engage in conflict and tell people the truth. You can't be 100% authentic and show people the real you, especially the parts they won't like, not if getting them to like you or approve of you or think that you're cool is what drives you. You see, if the approval of others is your fuel, you will never become like Jesus and have the full life that he longs for you to live. But now imagine, just imagine for a moment, a life where every relationship was founded every decision chosen every uh, attitude determined by burning the fuel of knowing that the God of the universe has accepted, loved, adopted, forgiven and saved you through the death and resurrection of his son you see if grace was your fuel if grace is what you were running your life on then you wouldn't have to constantly prove yourself anymore how much freedom would that bring you could be different even when it's not popular you can handle failure and disappointment and criticism because it wouldn't threaten your security and identity You'd have perseverance in suffering, hope in discouragement, humility in success, joy and peace in uncertainty. If you were fueled by grace, you could love people without the ulterior motive of just looking for something from them in return. You see, when you burn the fuel of grace, even your love is pure. You could be a truth teller. You you could be honest, even when it's hard, because sometimes that is truly the gracious, gracious thing to do, to tell someone the hard and difficult truth. Friends, grace is the most pure fuel you'll ever find. Some of you have seen those cars. Um, maybe a few of you have one. Those new little electric cars, those teeny little ones, are... Um, Our HR finance director, Anna Russell, has one of those. It's like this bright blue Nissan Leaf. I think, Ron, you got it for her, didn't you? Good job. It, like, taunts me every time I'm behind her. It has this little sticker on the back. Zero emissions. Like, it's like snobbly, like, bragging to my car. Like, right? Like, you polluter. That's what grace is like. Grace is like a a zero-emission fuel. There is no junk, there is no pollution that comes from running your life on grace. There's no baggage. So how? How do we do it? How do we become grace-fueled? How can we be be a part of creating a grace-filled world? What does that look like? Well, in this series, we're going to talk about three main ways that we live this out. And in the time we have left, I want to talk about growing faith. How we live out being grace-filled people through growing faith in God. Did you know that all throughout the scriptures, faith is actually the preeminent mark of the people of God? It's what God's people do. They faith faith. They live by faith. They try to live in a way that consistently and constantly trusts God. And and they do fall short, right? They certainly fall short at times. The Bible is very authentic about when when his people don't trust him fully. And Jesus becomes, um, of course, our ultimate example of what it means and what it looks like to fully trust God. But we get glimpses of what it looks like to trust God as we look at his people. And that sounds great, doesn't it? to live by faith, to grow in faith. How many in here, if I said like, do you want to have more faith? Do you want to grow in faith? Do you want to live by faith? I'm guessing like 99% of us in this room would be like, me, me, pick me. Wouldn't we? Would you? Okay, well, you don't have to. I just thought you would. Um, because it sounds so awesome. But here's the problem. Faith always involves a few things. Want to know what they are? Chance. Good. There we Now we're doing better. Chance. Faith comes with chance and risk and uncertainty and doubt and insecurity and apprehension and fear. You still all in? (laughs) Because every single time, I love it, every single time in the Bible, people are called to live by faith. They have to face their doubts. I mean, think of Abraham. God comes to him, asks him to leave home, move to a foreign land that he knows nothing about, and he says, "God, where are we going?" And God says, "Come with me, and I'll show you." But God, but tell, like, where are we headed? Come, come, Abraham, just go, and I will show you. We'll show you along the way. Some point we'll get a destination here. But right now, I just need you to follow. Or Noah, God says, I want you to spend decades of your life, not like a few months or even a few years, decades of your life building a boat in the middle of the desert. Now, we've heard that story, right? We know how it ends and Noah gets saved and everyone else drowns. And it's like, yeah, Noah, I want to be like Noah. Yeah, but you forgot what it was like on like year 23 when everyone was making fun of him and he was pounding nails and he was saying, are you serious, God? Did I mishear you? Are you going to... Come on, you better come through for me. When he's tired and exhausted and doubting and scared and tired of being ridiculed. And then there's Moses. Moses is one of these guys that just trusted God and trusted God and trusted God and trusted God. and He keeps keeps trusting God over and over. But maybe the big moment was when he walks up to the most powerful man in the world and he says, you know, all all the slaves of your empire, my people, let them go or else through me God's going to free them. And his life's on the line. And then then there's Elijah, like another example, again, a million examples, but Elijah, the prophet who who challenges all the hundreds of prophets of Baal, and there's the altar. You remember this story? This is like the best Sunday school story ever. In real life, it was probably a lot worse, but in in Sunday school, it was cool. Like, he marches around the altar and he's taunting the prophets of Baal, can't you make it burn, you know? And then it's his turn and he's dumping water on it. And my, my favorite part about it, Elijah, is he's talking trash the whole time. You know, which proves that trash talk is biblical if it's for the Lord. And he's just like pouring water on it. And he's like, Yeah, let's see how this goes because my God is huge. But I, I can only imagine, and actually I'm, I'm quite certain, that in the back of Elijah's brain, or maybe right in the front, is this thought Oh God. Please, please, pretty please, I beg you with all that I am, come through for me today. Because do you know what happens if that altar doesn't burn? Elijah dies. You think there was some fear and some doubt and some uncertainty? Or Peter, when he steps over the edge of that boat, and again, we all kind of go, if I was there, I'd just be right out. Who doesn't want to walk on water? but there were wind and there were waves and it was dark and all the laws of physics said that water was not going to support Peter and I wonder how much uncertainty and fear and doubt he had to overcome with that first step and I guess the question then is why why would you do any of that what on earth would possess someone to take those kind of chances and, and embrace those, uh, that level of risk to do the things those people did Friends, and have faith in the midst of that kind of uncertainty and apprehension and fear. What in the world we get people to enter into those kind of moments? Here's the truth I want to offer you this morning. The only reason you will actually choose faith, not sitting in the comfort of a sanctuary, but when you'll actually choose faith in the midst of challenge, is knowing the one you're putting faith in. The only reason you'll ultimately choose faith in the midst of challenge, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of doubt and danger and fear is if you know the one you are putting faith in. You see, Abraham didn't know where he was going, but he knew... The one who was leading. Noah couldn't see exactly what he was building, but he had a deep connection with the master builder. Moses knew that Pharaoh was powerful, but he also knew the power of the great I am. Elijah had every reason to feel uncertain about a soaking wet altar's chances of lighting up, but he poured water on that sucker because he knew the one who could send the fire down. Peter had every reason to fear the wind and waves. But he knew the one intimately who was beckoning him out of the boat. You see, friends, here's the deal. Knowing empowers trusting. We talk about faith, and sometimes th- we think the answer is this. Like, I want to have more faith, and so what we're gonna do is we're just gonna we're gonna rev ourselves all up, and we're gonna convince ourselves I'm gonna trust more, I'm gonna trust more, I'm gonna go out, and I'm gonna take the chances, and I'm gonna face the fear, and I'm gonna lean on God, and we're gonna do it, aren't we, Doug? We're gonna do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's like a football, like pre-season pregame locker room moment, and that is not what we're saying at all. That is not the message of the of the gospel or, or the scriptures in any way. You cannot Lean into faith through your own strength. You can only do it by, by grace, through His strength. You see, and here's the deal. Knowing God empowers trusting God. You don't try real hard to trust God more. You get to know Him more, and the more you know Him, the more you'll trust Him. You ever wonder how Jesus could trust God so fully? Anything think we think about Matt and I were talking about that this week. How Jesus is is the pioneer of our faith. He's the one who shows us perfectly. He leads the way for us in what it looks like to wholly and completely trust the Father. And sometimes we think, oh, well, it was easy for Jesus. He was God himself, you know? But when he came to earth and became a human, a man, and took on human flesh, he he gives up his omniscience in some way. And so he does not know. He does not have certainty anymore. And so he goes into the grave... Believing, hoping, knowing on some level that God is going to raise him, but he does not have certainty. There was certainly doubt and there was fear. Go with Jesus in the garden and you can see that. So how does Jesus trust God so fully that he'll even go to the grave? He knows God so fully. He trusts Him 100% because He knows Him 100%. The more we know Him, the more we can trust Him. So friends, here's the question. Why doesn't the church trust God for more? Why don't we live lives of more extreme faith? Why don't we risk and chance and gamble and rely and bet it all on God more as Christ followers in this world? Why in the heck do we play it so safe? Maybe it's because we don't know Him enough. Maybe we haven't connected with Him as deeply and intimately as we need to. Cedar Mill, our vision to be a grace-fueled people for a grace-filled world starts with knowing God so deeply and fully and consistently and intimately that our ability to trust Him is an ever-increasing reality. That as time moves forward, We take more kingdom risks, not less. You ever notice this in the world, how as people get older, they get less risky? Do you see that? Have you experienced that in your own life? We went like boating as a staff a few weeks ago, and I was on a tube behind Pastor Ron's boat, and this reality became very true. I was so much more cautious at 40 than I was at 20. So much more cautious with Ron driving than anyone else in the world. Um, But friends, as we get older, we get more cautious. That is not how it is in the scripture. Most of the people that trust God for huge, great, enormous, dangerous, scary things are people like over 80. Why? Because they've had a lot of years to get to know him. And now they know him real well, so they can trust him for a lot. Friends, I said earlier in the first service, we got a pretty old church. Not like that you are old people. Some of you are. Some of you are old, which means you should trust God for like enormous stuff. And you better trust with God because, you know, the end of life is coming. You have to trust Him for the ultimate thing. What I'm talking about as a, as a community, as a body, we're an old, we have a lot of history. We've been around a long time. We've had a lot of stinking years at Cedar Mill Bible before I was even born to learn to know God and to connect with Him deeply and intimately. We should be trusting Him more than any other church around. We should be risking more as a community than, than any other church in our area. Why? we have had a lot of years to know the heart of the Father. My prayer is that we would step into risky, the risky business of trusting God with, with greater and greater ease because we increasingly know the one in whom we put our faith. This is why individual practices are so key. Individual spiritual practices are just central in the life of of a Jesus follower central in the life of of a community of Jesus followers not because you get extra credit points for praying or journaling or fasting or doing devotions or reading your Bible not because God is keeping tabs on how much or how often you give or serve none of that matters no extra points for doing that at all here's why you do it Because when you constantly and consistently connect with God, you get to know Him. You get to know His heart and see His character. And when you know Him, you can trust Him. And when you trust Him, you can live a life of ever-increasing, growing faith. And when you live by faith, God can use you for big things. Friends, we as a church are going to raise the temperature of our encouragement and empowerment of spiritual practices around here. We're going to be talking more and more about being a people that... More intensely and purposely connect with God significantly on a regular basis we 're going to be talking that in our upcoming series called Emmaus. but this morning, I want to talk briefly about another way that we believe you will get to know God and experience growing faith as a part of cedar mill you see there 's always an individual component and a communal po- component to, to, to spiritual growth there's things that, you, that only that can only happen between you and God together personally. And there are other things that can only happen when you are willing to grow in faith communally, and that is in partnership with others. In other words, friends, we're asking you today, are you willing to take this journey together with at least one other person? Are you willing to reach ahead to someone who can help you? Are you willing to open your life up to a mentor, a person who can come alongside and assist you in taking steps forward on this journey of becoming like Jesus? You see, a mentor can only help you as much as you're willing to expose to that person. Are you willing to be authentic? Are you willing to be transparent? Are you willing to be vulnerable? I.e., I'll not only show you who I am, but I'll let you speak into who I am. And hear me clearly on this, friends. Hear me loud and clear. We'll say this again. I'm sure Matt will repeat this next week. This is not a new church program. We're not launching any new church programs today. Mentoring, a new church program. Nope. Nope. This is not match.com. We will not be pairing you off. Here's what we are after. Here's what we are calling for a culture at Cedar Mill where the expectation and norm and ever increasing reality for us as a community is life on life encouragement towards knowing God more deeply and trusting Him more fully. That it would just be the norm around here where people say, oh, who's your mentor? Who are you mentoring? Oh, who's helping you grow in Christ? Who's helping you know Him and trust Him more fully? Oh, this person's helping me. I'm helping that person. That's just how we do spiritual life here as a community. That's our goal. That's what we're wanting. Listen to this definition of mentoring that came out of our spiritual formation team. I love it. Some of you heard this at Journey Launch Training, but I'm going to read it. Engaging in spiritual mentoring is to accept, to choose an intentional posture of influence in another's life for the purpose of nurturing spiritual maturity in the life of the other, while enjoying mutual encouragement and growth in faith all to the glory of God and the expansion of his kingdom in both lives. I pointed out in the first service that this is actually the first moment when I read it publicly that I realized that was one long sentence. It was a very Pauline-like run on sentence there and then Mary Koleski told me in between services that she wrote it that way so that I couldn't cut anything out (laughs) which I thought was pretty smart of her but doesn't that sound amazing? it's hard It, it, it will require some intentionality it will require some difficulty there will be painful moments in that but friends to have someone come alongside you to do that with you for you to come alongside someone else and do that with them that is how we grow you want to know God more you're going to need someone You're going to need someone. You can't do it on your own. It's going to have to be together. All right, one final story from the scriptures as we close. And uh, this is a story of someone who knew God and trusted him in some huge ways. A Bible character, it's a story of a guy who who understood the power of mentoring, who leaned into that, who reached ahead um, for someone who was a little ahead of him and who learned from that person and who grew in faith, who knew God more deeply because of another person's willingness to invest in their life. It's a story uh, in the life of a guy named Elisha. And it's a simple story. You know, we all talk about Elijah. There's Elijah and Elisha. And they did it that way just to make it confusing. Elijah was the the mentor for Elisha. Elijah, we talked about earlier, he's the guy who marched around and poured water on the altar. He gets all the the press in Sunday school. And Elisha gets ignored, even though he did like twice as many recorded miracles as his mentor. And, and, And there's a moment in the life of Elisha when he's just first getting started as a prophet where there's some kings that get in a tussle. In fact, the king of Israel gets into a little tussle with the king of Moab. Apparently there's a little like, like grazing rights land policy thing going on here where the king of Moab was able to graze his cattle and his sheep and his goats on, on the hillsides of the king of Israel. And he was supposed to, because of that, pay some taxes to that king. But the king of Moab decides he's not paying the taxes anymore. So the king of Israel gets upset. He says, I'm coming after you, king of Moab. And so he goes to the king of Judah and he says, I'm going after the king of Moab. You want to join me? You want to help me? And the king of Judah says, yeah, let's rally the king of Edom as well. It'll be three on one, and we'll kick his little heine. They didn't use those kind of words back then. Um, and so they do. They join up, and, and they move out with their army. And they've got all the artillery and all the men and all the strategy and all the position. They should win this war easily, but they cannot seem to pin down the, the Moabite army. And so they chase him around. It says this in 2 Kings 3.9. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march, that's another way of saying like they've been chasing these people all over the place, of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. So they got this great plan. They got this great strategy to defeat this, this foreign king. And all is going well. It should be an easy win. But then they run out of water. No more water. An, an army without water isn't going to do much, is it? And so they go, whoa, what's up? And say, is God not with us? Is he not? So they call in Elisha. Get the prophet. And they call Elisha. in. you know what Elisha says? Elisha says, great job, guys. Really good. You did all the planning. You did all the strategy. You did all the prep work. You had all the resources, humanly speaking, you need to win this war. But you know what you forgot? To rely on the Lord. Because only God can make it rain. See, you did your own thing. You did all your own stuff. But you forgot who the true power source of victory in this life truly is because only God can make it rain. Friends, we will not do that. We will not do that here. And that's why for week one of this vision series, our bold and unapologetic declaration is this. Our vision as a church is to tap in to the only source of power that we need and that can get it done in us and in this world and that is the power of the one true living God of heaven and earth. And so our vision is to start here to know Him more fully, more deeply, more intimately that we could trust Him, not ourselves, not our strategies, not our great plans, not our nice building not anything in our own strength, but that we could trust him for more of what he wants to do in us and through us in this world. The invitation today is this. Would you like to get to know God a little bit more? Would you like to get to know God a little in more of an intimate way, so that you could truly trust Him, so that some chances are in your future, so that you could take some risks, so that you could face some fears, so that you could step out on some limbs to advance the kingdom, so that your story can get dovetailed in to His story. Would you go a layer down with Him, with us? Because I don't want to do church without knowing Jesus. I don't want to gather every week and just do life as normal. I am tired of being comfortable. Actually, that's not true. I love being comfortable. I love it. Don't let me be comfortable, and I won't let you. Let's know God, and let's follow Him with faith and trust Him for all that He has for us. Deal? I'm going to invite you to the table right now. I truly, I, I, friends, I, if I could only tell you how much, I, how much the Lord has been speaking to me lately about what he wants to do through this community. And he continues to remind me, it has nothing to do with you, Dave. It has to do with me and how great I am. Friends, this, God's done a lot of great things in this church in the past, but he's not done with us yet. Our best days are ahead, I believe that. and So come to the table today. Remind yourself through the bread and through the cup who the ultimate power source is. Remind yourself that the only fuel to run your life on is the grace of God found in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Remind yourself who He is, how trustworthy He is, and then say, Lord, can I know You more, that I could trust You more, that we could take some chances together and that you could do your work in and through me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the men and women of the scriptures who, who faced challenge and fear and doubt and uncertainty and even terror because they loved you and knew you and trusted you so fully. God, that you would help us to become that kind of people, that kind of church. Fuel us not with our own effort, not with our own abilities or talents or skills or ingenuity, but fuel us with your grace, Jesus. Help us to meet you today, Lord. Help us to remember who you are, the all-consuming love you have for us that was displayed on the cross. And God, we'll do our very best to give you all the glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.